Hello, I'm Adam and welcome to Tales from the Potting Bench, a gardening podcast where you'll hear tales and stories from the wide variety of voices across the botanical and horticultural landscape. This season is sponsored by the wonderful people at PlantGrow, producers of award-winning organic fertilisers made with zero chemicals. Great for your garden and even greater for the planet. And don't forget if you use the code POTTINGBENCH on plantgrow.co.uk, you'll get 10% off your order. In this episode, I spoke to no-dig gardener and homesteader Stephanie Hafferty. Stephanie is also a prolific garden writer, speaker and author, so we had plenty to talk about, including some myth-busting about no-dig gardening. Enjoy. For anyone that is not familiar with you right now, who are you and what do you do? So my name is Stephanie Hafferty and I am a no-dig gardener and a garden and food writer and I have been growing for decades now and I write and talk about growing food and what to do with it. Has this always been your your passion or did was this kind of secondary to what you wanted to do originally in your life how did this all come about because now which we'll get into your form of growing is all is so all encompassing it's it's almost a lifestyle isn't it it's not just a, a growing method that has kind of taken over your life but was that what you wanted to do all along no no um when I was very little I wanted to be an archaeologist and um though in a way you can see the link yeah. it's and then I actually I trained to be an English teacher I did a degree in literature and art history and then I was a secondary school English teacher for a couple of years because kind of I didn't really know what to do mm. and I liked the kids and everything I didn't really enjoy working in school so much but again that kind of is why I am confident speaking publicly because you have to be if you're a teacher so but it's I've always liked gardening ever since my mum says when I was a, t- a toddler I was always grubbing in the mud as she put it <laughs> so I've always liked being outside um, always enjoyed being in nature and um, I like plants so what then what what pushed you from teaching to to finally doing this was it a kind of a slow process or was it a, a realization well I was already dabbling with growing stuff then I got into I used to grow cacti and succulents on the windowsill as a child and um, make little fairy dens in the garden and that kind of thing and then when I was a t- in my 16 17 I found a book in the charity shop which I still got and it was um, a book from the 1950s about natural winemaking and I discovered that you could grow things and make alcohol from it (laughs) (laughs) which is a source of joy in your that kind of teenage age so I got a bit of my parents garden and grew some things to make booze and I also I mean it was very healthy I went foraging out getting elderberries and things so when I was went to uni when I was 19 I went with all these demijohns of wine (laughs) Oh, I bet you were popular then. <laughs> and then I got, as I got more interested in making food as a student, because we were, you know, you're skint when you're a student. And I learned 
went to make Indian style food because it's really cheap to make. Um, I was living, I was a student in Bristol, so there were all the shops where you could get pulses and everything, even back then. Mm. And I started to grow some herbs to go with that. And it all just kind of built on it. And then it really, it was, it was about the time I left teaching, I was really wanting to grow more and more. And then I started having a family and it became more of a, a purpose because I was, I was broke for a start. It was budget, but yeah. also it was consciously wanting to give the children um, as healthy food as I possibly could. So there were sort of lots of different ways into it. So that, so that was your kind of journey into it, but then taking it one step further to, to no dig, how did that, how did that all come about? Well, where I lived in Somerset, I heard about no dig and also I was, I was interested in permaculture. Mm. And when my children were small, I would go to um, things like the Green Gathering and these festivals because they were great with little children. And mm. I literally, I would wear rainbow dresses, full <laughs> length, things like a princess, like um, sleeves that dangled down. Yeah. I lived near Glastonbury, get the idea. Right. Yeah. I'd go, I'd go and buy um, like evening dresses and they'd be day wear. So I'd <laughs> swan around. My poor children, they were mortified. <laughs> I would swan around in what they say was clothes made out of tablecloths. So I thought I looked lovely and all the beads and bracelets and things, looking at these gardens, these permaculture gardens and getting ideas from there to do at home. And then, um, so I got into the idea of like different ways of gardening because my gardening book at that time was Jeff Hamilton. It's mm. organic gardening. And then I heard about this bloke in the area who did this thing called No Dig. And I thought, because I lived near Glastonbury, I thought he was just one of these. I basically thought he was sitting around all day smoking dope and <laughs> watching, watching the weeds grow. <laughs> yeah. and I, so I didn't really think much of it because I thought, well, that's not very, that's not really going to be productive. Mm. <laughs> and anyway, I was looking for some work and a friend of mine said, oh, there's this job because I'm a single parent, three kids at this point, not quite young, and it needed to fit in with having young children. And um, there was this job going locally with this bloke who did no dig gardening called Charles, and um, I applied for the job as a salad picker. Salad picker, wow. Um, yeah, so I went there. And it, the funny thing is, the first day there, I turn up, because um, I was taking over from the previous salad picker, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm kind of like nervous because I didn't know what, what to do. Obviously, I knew what a lettuce was and things, but yeah. I didn't know the whole rhythm of the market garden. And there was only the flipping BBC filming there. Oh, God, on your first <laughs> day? first day. God, what a three minute of the I know. So there's me and Alex, who I was taking over from. Alex showed me what to do. And then Charles announced that um, he was being filmed at the time of the delivery. And could I go and do the delivery? So I knew nothing. <laughs> so that was how i got into it (laughs) so is that i bet we can find that so what was that for that they were filming oh i wasn't on it they edited me out (laughs) they they i was there for it they were very short but it was about micro leaves as i recall but it just was trying to learn a new job Mm. when you've got cameras and all the rest of it everywhere Literally the most, uh, most, uh, or the, the least, um, 
Oh, that's the, what's the best way to put that? Like, literally the <laughs> worst situation you could be in on the first day. Of it wasn't ideal. <laughs> Nerve-wracking. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, so I, I actually was there for two and a half years and I ended up doing all aspects of the market mm. garden. It was like going to uni again in a way. And then from there it was, I went off and worked um, setting up um, kitchen gardens for different clients then so yeah you've done all sorts of different kitchen gardens since yeah. then I mean how, do you know how many you've done since then um well I mostly would be with like I, I was the kitchen gardener for so Cameron Macintosh mm. and that was for three and a half years so it was usually for quite some time but um, yeah. quite a few mostly for private estates mm. but also restaurants Mm. so um which is really good because you get different perspectives on the needs of the garden so yeah, obviously cool. a market garden has one perspective um when you're running a kitchen garden for a home essentially like Cameron and Michael then you've got you're growing specifically for the needs of those people rather than customers and then for a restaurant it's the needs of the chefs essentially mm. but also when I was doing the, the restaurant um the garden for rock bar and grill at Hauser and Worth that was unusual because it's an, um, an international art gallery mm. so there were tens of thousands of visitors every year so it also had to look in a certain way yeah. and you had the interaction with the public and, and a story if you like because I was I'm very interested in growing for biodiversity for the health of the plants which the restaurant were very keen on too so you had that whole story of why certain things were going to seed and so yeah it's it's good it's a good lesson in um growing for particular reasons and then obviously all the time I'm growing for me and my family too yeah that's what exactly what I was going to say but then grow those are different to each other but then growing for yourself is entirely different to to all of those again isn't it totally yeah it's it's much freer because um, you are able to, you could just use anything, you know, it's like you can't give a chef a whole load of half mauled salad leaves yeah. and they can't serve it to a customer. They can use it in soups or something, but not as a salad. Whereas if it's for yourself, you want to eat every leaf you possibly can, don't you? Yeah, you of course you do baby seed so yeah there's I've seen a couple of a couple of these kind of year-end roundups so I never never quite know what to think about these about trends for 2023 and inevitably what always ends up on one of these is is growing for biodiversity and for the planet and etc and no dig always gets a mention always always gets a mention and I always wonder whether that's just because they feel as though they need to say that or whether they actually think it's going to be a, a trend if if people are thinking about starting no dig where where do they start? Because I I think that there's a a misconception or a misconception with no dig that it's difficult or that it's a a, a process that you've really got to go through. When really it's it's not, is it? No, and I think obviously I've been doing it. I've actually lost track of time. It's either fourteen or fifteen years. Yeah. No dig, grown longer than that. And I've done it in lots of different situations. So like obviously um, setting up homemakers, that was entirely different because it's a market garden. I think that was set up a decade or so ago. That was entirely different to when I moved to Wales and setting up the garden here. So if somebody is thinking of doing no dig on a, an allotment or in their back garden, like on a, a home scale 
warmly recommend they look at how I set up my garden here because that was done for family needs and also on a budget. So um, I use a lot less compost than is often suggested because it makes it more affordable. And I'm using different mulches as well in different situations. Um, So it's, yeah, it's really, really simple. It's like the bed I made today, I put cardboard on the weedy grass it was an extension I've got this huge bed in the orchard and it's an extension on that uh, cardboard on the weedy grass and I shoved some compost on the top half of the compost was literally the sacks that I'd grown potatoes winter potatoes so they were put in sacks in August harvested around Christmas time so all of that spent compost went on that covered half of it and the rest was some that I bought in the summer so it's a mixture of like pre-used stuff I've made my own I'm still having to buy some in because I am setting up quite a big garden can't make enough yet in my previous garden I made all the compost that I needed except for sowing and potting so it's doable on a domestic scale you just don't need as much as is often suggested I don't there's a bit I hear all sorts like people saying you have to put five centimeters two inches on every year sometimes people say you have to put six inches on every year which can you imagine I mean part of the fact it's not humanly possible to afford that no um, you'd end up near the stepladder wouldn't you well, you, you would yeah I've seen um, you say this on Twitter as well actually funnily enough fairly recently I, I remember seeing somebody say something about mulch um and it may have been six inches and I remember seeing you reply saying that that's just not it's just not necessary and it's not no it's not practical either and I was talking with somebody on social media the other day somewhere and they had a six inch bed now if you've made a wooden sided raised bed yeah of course Mm, initially it will be however deep that bed is but that's like a one-off isn't it and you factor that in if you want deeper beds for whatever reason I've worked in beds like at the art gallery the beds there they were four feet deep or something because yeah. of the situation it was in course, yeah. um, car park it made it actually can't have been four feet three feet but you know it was like they were yeah. deep I didn't fill them thank goodness I, mean, yeah. I think my arms would have dropped off <laughs> but um they were using uh, you know four inches of um green waste compost which and then two inches of other compost and that would just dry out four inches yeah. of green so yeah, it's, it isn't. It's actually really quite simple. And I think it's always worth looking at why people are suggesting certain things. Because what you do if you are mulching a market garden where other people are working and you're growing a product, that is going to be a bit different to me growing vegetables to feed my family. It's a different so it can be i'm using sheep stags here i'm using all kinds of mulches as um depending on what i'm growing yeah of course you've written two books about this as well haven't you so far one book about one book about one book's um plant-based recipes Mm. um you can grow essentially it's um yeah that is a plant-based because i only grow i only grow plants i don't have chickens or ducks or anything yeah 
and um i'm writing another gardening book at the moment you are that was my next my next question when when are we expecting that do we know it got delayed because i actually couldn't finish it whilst also setting up a garden and traveling all over the country like i was yeah (laughs) so it just wasn't humanly possible so um hopefully have a date it into this year lovely is that is that no dig or is that are you are you able well, to live well, i mean i i don't dig so um it won't it's not like a specific no dig book mm. but that's the way that i grow obviously mm. imagine if i wrote a digging book. No, imagine <laughs> do you know what the thing is with no dig I've, I've talked about this before is i think that there's this misconception again that you just can't nothing can penetrate the soil like it's just as though you can't and that's that's clearly almost impossible isn't it no I mean I'm putting more trees in this winter um which is very exciting yeah you know and also my back I've got two main areas where I grow food here of the back garden because that's what it is and then you go through okay and there's a bigger area which has old apple trees so we call it the orchard mm. that's where the polytunnel is as well and i've made the whole garden apart from making holes for trees or my son rory um dug i got all the lining and everything for the pond and said i want it there and yeah. my son did it for me so obviously that was a lot of digging but my back garden which i mulched you know the whole thing bed cardboard compost along 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 like that making the beds during the first year I was here if I'd moved here and I had no compost so when I was moving I knew I wanted to set up my garden very quickly I also knew at the time I was project managing a show garden at Hampton Court of course you were and I knew I was going to be away for about a month so I was like wanting to get stuff in the ground before I went away to do this garden and um which you know I designed my co-designed it and um but it so I had budgeted as part of my house move just as you do for removal men and all of that kind of thing compost so I had a compost budget but if I'd moved here and I didn't have a compost budget you know and I wanted to grow food you dig it once and yeah. I think that's the other thing because sometimes people think if you haven't got compost. I mean, what's important at the moment? I mean, our bills are going through the roof. Right. Every time I put the heating on, it's oil here. Mm. You know, they've got this little monitor with little lines, and each line costs me a hundred pounds. Oh, <laughs> it's horrible to watch that, isn't it? You know, these smart oh. meters. We've got a smart meter, and I don't even look at it anymore. I just don't want to know. No, well, this is only because when you've got oil, you've got to have an idea. Because obviously, if it runs out, it's gone. It's gone, yeah. yeah, Whereas uh, with you know electricity, you just get the electricity bill just get higher and higher and higher, and eventually we'll all have to upgrade to get away from our electricity. Anyway, you know, bills are getting higher, and so the more food we can produce for ourselves, it's all going to help. So I wouldn't want to put anybody off saying there is only one way of doing this and you must do it this way Um, because, you know, it's just going to create anxiety. And so there's nothing, it's not ideal to dig it over first. You're going to break up the soil structure. You're going to harm mycorrhizal fungi, but the soil will recover. And then you can set up your compost bins, make compost, and just don't dig it anymore. 
Yeah. You know, you'll need to do a lot more hoeing in the first year because you brought up the wheat seeds. Wheat, but yeah. it's more important to get things in the ground, I think. If you have got compost and you can do it the way I did it, that is obviously brilliant. Yeah, and but there's we're all just doing the best we can really aren't we yeah so i think, I think that so. is and i do know that sometimes because i talk with people who because they've got an allotment and they've dug it over they feel that they have to dig it forever more it's just yeah. like just stop just stop yeah. yeah i think that's it isn't it i think it's it's just got this kind of not label as such but as though it's this this kind of thing to aspire to is kind of no dig but it is as easy as all those steps that you've that you've just mentioned absolutely Absolutely. and I'm doing a lot more with green manures um they're more accessible now we can get them all seed companies sell green manures yeah they do avoid avoid rye rye is a right most of them can either be hoed off cut down or they'll die in the winter time which is Mm. great feeds the soil and that's lovely rye is a real pain you've got to cover Mm. it with tarpaulin and kill it Mm. off that way so it's a palaver but the rest of them are nice and um, again you know that's a little packet Mm -hmm. and it's helping with soil biodiversity it's helping with fertility Um, it's great if you don't have much compost and um, it's really accessible for people that's the thing is I I think if you get into a real swing with no dig it's actually very um cost effective once you've kind of got into that into that kind of rhythm of it isn't it i think it's just that everyone thinks that there's this massive initial compost bill which i think you know there's no denying that there is an outlay of compost to kind of begin with if you're going to do it like that but but once that's done it's that it's that very kind of thin layer of of mulch and that's it needn't be any more complicated than that no and also i mean the thing with digging is it's that doesn't digging does not make your garden fertile Mm. you know when i was my previous allotment in somerset um some some of us were no dig some of us were diggers and we all of us pretty much got extra compost from George, a local Mm. dairy farmer who had these fields of beautiful meadows. Mm. So he wasn't going to spread his muck there because the meadows wouldn't produce the wildflowers. So he had spare muck. And the diggers and the no diggers bought it. It was dead cheap. It was Mm. like 20 quid for five tons. And I would spread it on my allotment and that would be that. And the diggers would spread it on their allotment and then they'd dig it all in. Yeah. You know, Digging itself, there seems to be a myth that if you dig, it somehow magically makes your garden fertile. And actually, yeah. the opposite is true, because you're break by digging, you're breaking up the soil structure, so the soil life is not um, working in the way that it should for healthy soil. And you destroy mycorrhizal fungi, mm. which every year we're learning more and more about the role of soil flora and fauna and fungi in the health of the soil yeah. and the health of our plants. So, you know, it's like there it is a myth that no dig moving onwards each year uses more compost mm. because you, you know, if you're a digger, you're going to have to put something in. It's just the same amount. Yeah, of course. Exactly. But, um, I don't, I don't mulch all the beds, but some of these here, you know, I only made in the summer. Yeah. But usually I would put on about a centimetre, about half an inch a year. Nothing is um, really sometimes, that. Yeah. And I know people who put less than that as well. 
with and but I and you use other things like green manures with it. There's lots of whereas you know because it's a domestic scale, we're not trying to you know feed exactly from one garden. No, exactly. So it's got to that point of the podcast where I've got three questions for you. Now they are they're not difficult questions, but they might. They might kind of be slight head scratchers, which I apologise for asking you these at 10 past eight at night um, with them being head scratchers. (laughs) If you had to redesign your whole garden, so think about your garden that you've you've got there. If you had to redesign your whole garden with only one type of plant, so you can have multiple varieties, but only one type of plant, which would it be and why? Um, I'd have to move to a different country. Oh, okay. That's the first time that's been said, I think. Um, because if I could only have one plant, I would like it to be aubergine. Oh. I really, really like all the different kinds of aubergines. Mm. And I get enormous pleasure from aubergine plants. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's a sentence. That's one that I'm going to clip out for a, for a little uh, soundbite. <laughs> Uh, that's hilarious what is so what is it can you can you grow them here or in yes. the polytunnel yeah in somerset yeah uh, i so my polytunnel there i would grow usually 15 to 20 different varieties um i do the normal aubergine like you buy in the supermarket mm. aubergine and or every year also i try out um some of the uk varieties from seed companies that they right. do and some um, that you can get in pots, and they're quite small, but you can grow them on a patio. So I do those as a kind of a side just to see what will grow well. In, and I always get grafted, ordinary purple aubergines because you get loads yeah. from those. Yeah, but... And then the rest, I want the long, thin purple ones, the round green ones that you can eat raw. Oh. Um, there's so many kinds Um different colours, different textures. Um, they work in different meals. So the big, fat, white ones that are about the size of um, a grapefruit Italian, mm. those ones are really good for using. Like, they're, they're not meaty flavoured, they're meaty textured. Yeah, like fleshy kind of, yeah. That way. And then the Thai green ones have such a different texture they're kind of melty so mm. yeah my ambition is to be able to grow the tiny tiny bitter aubergine pea aubergine which on its own tastes revolting but it's a key part of many different Thai dishes so aubergines and that's the first time that's definitely the first time that's been said i think you you might be the first and last who knows find out <laughs> uh, along along a similar similar vein i suppose if you could only ever garden again using one tool uh, and no other tools which would it be and why that um, is somehow more difficult than the plant question i think yeah because i think the difficulty is you know i you could say well, actually, probably the most useful thing is a trowel because you can do so many things with it. Mm. Um, but harvesting without a pocket knife, could I I could cheat and bring a kitchen knife out? You could. You could. Yeah. Yeah. And if you'd yeah. got quite a wide um, kind of bladed kitchen knife, you could use that kind of almost like a hoary hoary knife for planting. Yeah. Well, I was thinking of one of those because also they're quite good for weeding between yeah. things. Mm. 
not so easy for harvesting. No, sorry. no, no, that's very true. Good for standing and holding. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good for a photo. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. So, what was your choice there? Then used loads and loads of tools, but it would be, yeah. you know, my key ones are a pocket knife, a trowel, a dibber, and um, a hoe. And yeah. I also have a small hand hoe, which mm. is the ones I was using today for getting the dreaded rose bay willow herb yeah. babies out. Right, and there's there's one more question which I think is is uh, is quite difficult. The age old question: If you had to impart one piece of gardening wisdom on a new garden owner, what would it be? Start small. People often feel that um, you've just got to like go gung ho for it, and particularly in April when the whole of nature is going like crazy around you and I think people get infected by it and mm -hmm. I'm going to do this I'm going to do that I'm going to do the other and if you're a new gardener get, do one bed or two beds and do them well, do them well. and then add to it and add to it it, it stops you getting overwhelmed and one of the main reasons people quit is feeling overwhelmed another mm -hmm. one is weeds you just start and pace yourself and there's no mad rush yeah, there's this kind of rush, 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 rush. You know, nature's still pretty asleep. If you'd like to see more from Stephanie, then you can find her on Instagram at Stephanie Hafferty, on Twitter at Steph underscore Hafferty, and on her website, nodighome.com. Join me again next week where I'll be joined by another fantastic planty guest. Until then, you can follow me on Instagram at viewfromthepottingbench. But before you go, don't forget to sign up for my free newsletter by visiting viewfromthepottingbench.com. Each week you'll find out who my next guest is before anyone else.